Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. God speaks to us today from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. 所以我告诉你们不要为生命忧虑吃什么多加一刻何必为衣裳忧虑呢何況你們呢所以不要憂慮說吃什麼喝什麼穿什麼這裡都是外邦人所求的你們需用的這一切東西你們的天父是知道的你們要先求他的國和他的義這些東西都要加給你們了所以不要為明天憂慮因為明天只
And we've been looking at this notion of the kingdom of God, the reign of God in Jesus, uh, coming to us in the person work, his death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today we look at Jesus' teaching on anxiety and peace. And I want to hold out before you today that the Christian faith has unparalleled resources available to you and to, and to me uh, for peace in this age of anxiety. Okay, so let's look at that. What are these resources? Well, first, we're going to look at there's a new source of worth, self-worth. Secondly, there is a gift that sets you free. And then thirdly, there's a purpose that cannot fail. And each of those are inestimable resources for peace in an age of anxiety. So let's look at the first one. Uh, There's a new source of worth that's being offered to us in these verses. Uh, Let me read to you verse 25 and 26 where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, when I studied this text, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I don't know why. Maybe this is like my own baggage of my Christian faith. But when it came to the topic of worry or anxiety, I would have expected Jesus to say, stop worrying. Repent. Just trust God more. You would think that, I I don't know, that's what I expected him to say. So it was a little bit of a surprise to me that when I looked in Jesus' primary teaching on worry and anxiety, his main point is, don't you realize how valuable you are in the sight of God? Are you not much more valuable than they? And I want to suggest to you this morning, this is a completely different way to find our own sense of self-worth. It's actually radically different in our culture today. So our culture today would tell us this, that they would tell us that the only way you can find self-worth, the only way that you can be sure of yourself, the only way that you can find self-fulfillment is if you learn how to value yourself above all else. Uh, that you have to be somebody who has become convinced just how amazing you are, that if you go in and discover your true self, discover this amazing self that's waiting to be brought out of you, that if you can discover just how amazing you truly are, you can display it to the entire world, and the world will be forced to recognize that amazing self within you. And there are some truths to that. All of you are amazing in your own incredible ways. But here's the problem. What happens when you go in t- inside yourself, and what you discover doesn't seem all that amazing to you? What if instead when you go inside, rather than finding this incredible, brilliant person that's waiting to be discovered and displayed, what if you go inside and what you find is a lot of just self-doubt and insecurity? What if you go in and you find what maybe feel like death to us all? You just find mediocrity and fear. You see, our entire culture tells us that the only way to true self-fulfillment is to go in and find that amazing self. The problem is when we do that honestly, that's not what we see. And at the very core of our culture today, one of the deepest forms of anxiety we have is anxiety about our worth. And so the the poet T.S. Eliot said this. He said, half the harm that's done in this world is due to our endless struggle to think well of ourselves. And what Jesus is telling us this morning is that you will never find a source of stable worth if you do it that way. 
it is an absolute recipe for disaster. The only way that you can find a source of worth that won't crush you with your own insecurities is if you find a source of worth outside of yourself that you can tap into a source that's infinite and unchanging. And so he says in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's that line again. Are you not much more valuable than they? There is an entirely different way to discover your sense of worth. I love this picture of uh, God feeding the birds. He doesn't say God provides for them or God gives them food. I love the picture of God feeding birds. There was a number of summers ago uh, where we had the opportunity just to spend a couple, like a week out in the Hamptons. And it was a great treat for us, but there's apparently like a nature preserve. We learned this about this when we got there. There's a nature preserve out there that uh, has all kinds of beautiful different kinds of birds. And that if you come with uh, bird seed, you can actually stop in the middle of a path and just stand with your hand up full of bird seed. And as long as you wait long enough, Birds will literally come and chirp on your, or uh, perch, they chirp too, but they're perching on your fingertips, and they will literally eat the seed right out of your hand. Uh, and the very first time that happens, I mean, first it startles you because you got these little talons that you're not really expecting, uh, but when they perch, the, 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 the delight and the wonder of that single moment where you look at these birds and suddenly there's this treasuring. There is this tenderness of that moment. There is this amazing wonder and delight. And what I love about what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look at how God feeds the bird with tenderness and delight and wonder. What do you think he's going to do for you? Aren't you far more valuable than they? Imagine the delight and wonder and affection God has when he provides for your every need. You have a source available to you in Jesus Christ, a source of worth that's grounded not in what you discover inside, but it's grounded in the very God of the universe himself. The delight of God can be the infinite source that you can tap into when you turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I love. Christianity, the more that I study it, I'm convinced has the most remarkable, most beautiful, most balanced understanding of the human person. Because it says on the one hand this, it says that each one of us, uh, we were made in the image of God. Now, we might, maybe if you've grown up in church, you've heard that a lot. But here's what it means. It means when God looks at you, he feels like he's looking in the mirror. I'm going to say that again. When God looks at you, he feels like he's looking in the mirror. And this is true, by the way, you know, in the ancient world, people believed that there were some people made in the image of God, but they were emperors and kings. When God looks at you, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is, this is true of every single being, purely by virtue of being a human being, that when God looks at you, he feels like he's looking in the mirror. You're made in the image of God. It's incredible. This is where in the West we get our, all of our notions of universal human rights. It doesn't just emerge out of a random world that's, that's been put together by a process of blind evolution where the strong eat the weak. This notion of universal human rights comes from the fact that we believe that there is a God. When he looks at you, he feels like he's looking in a mirror. And in the ancient world, to do something to deface like an idol, like the image of God, an image of God. To do something to deface the idol would be to deface the God himself. 
And what that means is that anybody who does harm to you, God treats it as if he has been defaced himself. Imagine this. What if you believe this to be true? The value that God places on who you are. But Christianity doesn't just leave it there. Christianity, this is where the Bible is brilliant. It says that's not enough to really understand the human person. Because Christianity would say, actually, it is true that you have to go inside, and you do have to go in and look at yourself, because you do have to confront what you'll find inside. And if you do it honestly, you're going to discover a selfishness that doesn't feel like it's made in the image of God. You're going to discover a pride, a resentment. You're going to actually discover even hatred, self-pity. You're going to discover hypocrisy. You're going to discover all these things that you see. These don't feel like they're made in the image of God. This is not what God sees when he looks in the mirror. And actually, if we're honest with ourselves, if you go down deeper, what you're going to find actually is a, is a fundamental hostility to God. Like all of us at some level hate the fact that there is a God who can actually demand anything of us at any given time. We hate that. We would rather not believe in a God. We would rather not believe that God has that kind of prerogative over us. We, there's, it, at our core, there's a rebellion against God where we want to be gods unto ourselves. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to obey. So Christianity says, on the one hand, you are made in the image of God. It's as if God is looking in a mirror. On the other hand, you're a wretched sinner. And I say that insultingly on purpose. You're a wretched sinner. Wretched sinner, totally depraved, spiritually dead deserving of the wrath of God. And those two things, when you hold them together, give us a complete picture of the human person. But, that, but the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible also says, you want to know where you're going to find a new source of worth? What if the God who knows all of it, knows you all the way down, said, I'm giving my life for you. That's how much I value you. That's how much you're worth to me. I'm going to give my life to rescue you, to forgive you, to heal you, to, to make you my own all over again. You see how if you were to believe that, you would be able to tap into a source of worth that nothing could touch, nothing could ever shake. And so I love, I'm going to keep moving here, but I love uh, Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of our Reformed confessions. Heidelberg Catechism, written in Germany back in the 1500s, so, you know, a couple of years old. It's been around for a minute, is maybe one way to say it, right? Heidelberg Catechism, question once, asks this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? It's a question of anxiety. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the first words of that catechism, that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He so preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Not I am my own and I must therefore construct an identity and a self and a purpose and a world for myself. I am not my own, but I belong in life, in, in life and in death, in body and in soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. The kingdom of God offers you right now 
resources for peace in an age of anxiety. And that's the first one, a new source of wealth. Secondly, it also offers you a gift that completely sets you free. So let me read verse 27 to you. We looked at 25 and 26. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? And then he says, 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying one of the secrets to peace in an age of anxiety is recognizing that your limits are your gifts. Who of you can worry and can add a single hour to your life? You can't do anything. You've reached the limits of what you can do. And what the Bible is teaching us is that our limits as creatures aren't meant to be unfortunate realities that we have to admit to. But our limits are glorious gifts given to us by God that will set us free, that will make us truly and powerfully human. The secret to peace in an age of anxiety is not denying our limits or powering through our limits. It's embracing our limits. So other studies will show that, you know, social media use is actually correlated very, very closely with experience of anxiety. And on the one hand, the reason for that, of course, is a constant comparison, right? You're comparing your worst moments with other people's best moments, and you think you're, that's apples to apples, but you can't help but do that. So there's a comparison element piece that gives you a sense of anxiety. I'm not living my best life. I'm not doing enough. I'm not, li- I'm, I'm not experiencing enough. But I think another reason why social media creates anxiety is that it exposes us to limitless experiences and possibilities and products and needs. Uh, It gives us the illusion of limitlessness. And actually, it also exposes us to limitless needs and injustices and brokenness and atrocities in the world. And it makes us feel like we ought to be limitless in our ability to respond. And so we feel restless. We feel like we're not doing enough. We feel guilty. We We feel like we ought to be able to do something. But if there's one anxiety about our worth that is pervasive in our society, there's also an anxiety that comes with acknowledging no limits. That it's a guaranteed way to live a life of restless fear. This sense that I'm not doing enough. And so if you go back to that New York Times article that uh, interviewed these college students, if you read through the article, what you actually soon discover is that the reason, the, one of the core reasons for their anxiety is that in this generation, young people, I'm reading now, the biggest single stressor is they never get to the point where they can say, I've done enough and now I can stop. It's the illusion or the pressure to limitlessness. How, when can I say that I've done enough? When can I know that I'm allowed to stop? What if our limits are actually God's gift for us to embrace. So Martin Luther had a younger colleague named Philip Melanchthon, and Philip really struggled a lot with anxiety in ways that Martin Luther didn't, the, reform, the German reformer. And uh, he would oftentimes come to Martin Luther, and Martin's response to Philip was quite simple. When Philip would come with this anxiety, he would simply say, let Philip cease to rule the world. The gift of limits. But here's the key. You can only embrace your limits as a gift is if you believe that there is a heavenly father who will take care of the things that you haven't been able to take care of. That's the only way. The only way you can embrace your limits as a gift is if you believe that not only that there's a God, 
but that there is a God who can be trusted, a God with no limits, a God who is in complete control, a God whose intentions for you you can trust until you believe that you're never going to be able to embrace your limits as gifts. That's why verse 26, when Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, what does he say? He says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Not a distant deity, not a far-reaching God, but your heavenly Father down in verse 32 uh, where it says, you know, pagans run after these questions, what shall we eat, drink, or what shall we wear? And then he says, what your heavenly Father knows that you need them even before you ask. Not just a God, but your Father. You have to be able to trust that there is a Father in heaven who will take care of all that you're not able to take care of. See, at the core of our anxiety, I think, is that regardless of what our stated beliefs are, we struggle to believe that there is a God who can be trusted with our lives. And so we can't embrace our limits. We can't uh, rest in knowing that there is a Father who will finish the work for us. And so we end up taking ourselves too seriously. <clears throat> so I've got four kids. And when they were younger, <clears throat> one of the things that they would like to do is they would like to help me with my home projects on Saturday. So, you know, you know, I get something from Ikea or whatever it is, and I have to spend the day building things or, or putting up the curtains that they tore down off the wall and that sort of thing. And so they'd always want to help me on Saturdays. And usually, you know, I'd work, and I appreciate the time with them. And so I would do the work, and we would build the things, and they would help me, and they would ruin everything. And I'd be like, oh, you're doing such a great job. And I'd come back and fix it when they're not looking. And I'd, that would go, like, for hours. And they would do the work. Oh, you're such a great helper. How could Daddy do this without you? This is awesome. And then at some point, usually because I've gotten tired of them, I would say, you know what, guys? You've done such a great job. You've worked so hard. You've been so helpful. Why don't you go play, and Daddy will finish the rest? When we embrace our limits as children, as creatures of God, it's as if God's coming to us saying, Abe, You've been so helpful. <laughs> you must be so tired. Why don't you go play and daddy will finish the job? Do you trust that there is a father in heaven like that? Do you trust that your limits as his child are actually some of the things that bring him greatest delight? Do you trust that your rest, that your source of peace will come in embracing those limitations. They're a gift. Who of you, by worrying, can add even a single hour onto the end of your life? That leads to the third and final point. So here is this perfect kingdom of peace, and that peace is available to us right now in Jesus Christ. It offers us first this new source of worth, secondly, a gift that can set us free, but thirdly, it offers us a purpose that cannot fail. If you look verse at verses 33 and 34, the very end of this text here, it says, don't worry. Don't expend time and energy on worrying on what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Uh, don't worry about those things. Instead, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He's saying, look, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't you know your value? That was the first point. 
Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Worry, you can't, you're, you've reached your limits. You can't add a single hour to your life. But ultimately, Jesus is saying the deepest antidote to our fear and our anxiety and our worry is knowing that you're giving your life to a purpose that cannot fail. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's knowing that you're giving your life to things that are going to matter a million years from now when the sun has cooled down and all life has ended on the planet Earth and stars are collapsing all around us. The thing that will make you the deepest antidote to anxiety is knowing that you're giving your life to a purpose that will not fade with time. Because I think another one of our deepest modern anxieties, so if there was an anxiety about our worth, or the anxiety about, uh, uh, w- that comes with not embracing our limits, there's a deeper anxiety that says there's nothing that I do that will matter in the end. So one scholar says that we all live with a lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. Oof. And none of it amounts to, more, it amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. That the core of our modern existential angst, our anxiety as a society today, is the fear, the sneaking, lurking suspicion that we are giving our lives to things that ultimately do not even matter. And so Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't worry about these other things. Because here's the reality. We all have to give our lives to something. We will all seek some kingdom and some righteousness first. And it might be our career or our money or success or fame or power or family. But here's, what, here's the reality. No matter what it is, what kingdom you're seeking first, no matter what it is that you're giving your life to, that thing is going to demand everything from you. If you're giving your life to success, It will demand that you sacrifice everything else, your family, your relationships. It will demand that you sacrifice everything else on the altar of success. And then it won't deliver on its promises. In all of those kingdoms, success or fame or fortune, money, whatever it is that you find yourself giving your life to, in all of those kingdoms, they will always ask for more. It will never be enough your value will always remain uncertain, right? Because how much money is enough? How much fame is enough? How much power is enough? If you live for money, you will always feel poor. If you live for power, you will always feel vulnerable. If you live for success, you will always feel like a failure. If you, if you live for beauty, you will always feel ugly. And Jesus is saying, you're going to give your life to some kingdom. You're going to seek some kingdom and some, some righteousness first. But there's only one kingdom. There's only one kingdom that says you are valued beyond anything else. There's only one kingdom. Your career will not give its life for you. Your money will not sacrifice itself for you. But Jesus says there's only one kingdom that laid down the king who laid down his life for you. There's only one king who went to such extremes in order to win you back into his arms. And so here's Jesus in this text. He says, look, are you worried? He says, look at how effortlessly God feeds the birds. Look how effortlessly God clothes the lilies of the field. 
In fact, look how effortlessly God creates universes. He doesn't even lift a finger. He just says a word. He breathes a breath, and the entire universe comes into being. Look at how effortlessly God has done all these things. But you know what was one thing he had to do that cost him everything? To create the world costs God nothing but to redeem you from your sin, to forgive you, to heal you, to bring you back to him. That cost Jesus everything. And he did it for you and for me. And so Jesus says to us, turn away from those other kings and kingdoms, those other gods that will enslave. Repent. That's what that word means. Turn away from that. It's going to crush you. And turn now to the God who would rather be crushed in your place than to see you destroyed. Repent. Turn and you will find this kingdom of peace, perfect eternal peace, immediately available to you today so that we can stand up Leave this place, enter into the world, and to offer others a peace that transcends all understanding. Friends, don't you want that? If you don't know Jesus, if you're not sure if you've ever given your life to him, today's a great day to do that. Why not? But if you're here and you've given your life to Christ, let's find our peace in him. Let's demonstrate to the world that there is a peace that can transform us all. So let's do that now as we come to the table uh, to be fed by this king uh, to receive his peace. But let's pray. Pray with me now. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with this peace where we're anxious about our worth. Lord, help us to see your great love for us, that we're not only made in your image, but you also pay the ultimate price to redeem us, to heal us. And, Lord, we pray that you'd show us also, Lord God, that you offer to us the freedom of our own limits to be children before you again, to not have take ourselves quite so seriously. But, Lord, ultimately show us the king who died in our place so that we can know we can give our lives to something that will last. So as we come to the table of the king, help us to see his body broken and his blood poured out. And as we take that into ourselves, that it would bring us the healing that we need. Give us your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.